0: Take your seat, movie fans. The film is about to start. Welcome to Craft to Services, the show where we look at the bad films of cinematic history, the movies that critics rejected but audiences embraced. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban. I'm also the host of the Just Enough Trope podcast and the Enterprising Individuals podcast on the Just Enough Trope network. You can find out more at justenoughtrope.com. Returning to the show today as our guest, it's Jacob Gulliver of Hot Chocolate Media. Hi, Jacob. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. Thank you so much for being back. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were our first guest. So that sounds right. Welcome yeah. back. Yeah,
1: it's about time. Um, have you seen any good films lately? Oh, man. I've seen lots of good films lately. Uh, <laughs> pick three. <laughs> uh, I saw Incredibles 2 recently, which oh, yeah. I very much enjoyed. It's hardly not perfect, but good. Uh, I saw Upgrade it was the uh, indie pick from Bloom House. Oh, uh, sure. Definitely got to check that one out if you haven't yet. Uh, there's some there's some big dumb moments in it, but the <laughs> overall really strong piece and for, for the budget they had, it looks amazing. Uh, I just watched Logan Lucky recently. Oh, okay. That was, sure. that was excellent. I didn't seen it. I missed it last year, but it was good.
0: Yeah, I felt like that one really went under the radar, and um, I think like heist films are still kind of big. And um, I was surprised as a Soderbergh movie with a bunch of stars in it, it was just kind of like, yeah, it's okay. Um, and then I found out it was written by what was the what was the deal? Like it was the screenwriter on the film that was credited had no credits before, and everybody figured that it was Soderbergh just doing it under a a pseudonym. But it turns out that his wife actually wrote it and she just didn't wanna be seen as, you know, Soderbergh's wife, Mrs. Right. Soderbergh. And so right. but yeah, I mean it's I really enjoyed it. I thought the characters are really great, and it was um You know, not super high stakes, but it was just kind of fun. Daniel Craig was kind of weird. because <laughs> yeah, all of the performances had little elements of weirdness. Yeah, and yeah. I,
1: I loved that about it. Yeah. They're willing to get a little quirky with the personalities.
0: Yeah, uh, I like quirky. Um, we talked about a quirky film uh, a couple months ago uh, for a
1: April Fool's show on enterprising individuals. This is true. We talked about. Uh, I had a tough time explaining that one to, to Facebook. I wrote that post like three or four times. Yeah. I was like, how do I explain is this... what is happening here? Unless you're kind of in on the joke. Yeah. <laughs> I think the
0: best way, to the way I did that was, uh, no joke. It's just all straight. Oh, we'll just yeah, do it straight. yeah, 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 straight. Uh, and we did. We actually had an interesting discussion about the movie Incubus. Yeah. Which I don't think would ever show up on this program. I don't think anybody would uh, be willing to die to defend the virtue of Incubus. But, sure. Uh, you know, I had not seen it before. I had heard, you know, that it was this horrible movie that was all in Esperanto. And there were, there were... There's a skeleton of an idea there. I mean, you oh, can sure. see things that yeah. you could pull out and, and uh, be sort of fascinated by.
1: Definitely dark for the time. They're willing to, you know, cross some boundaries that I think a lot of other productions probably weren't. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, know. and
0: it was by Leslie Stevens, the uh, yeah. Outer Limits guy. Yeah, yep. the script. So um, that was fun. Um, uh, speaking of movies, and we are, uh, of course, you've got the movie machine.
1: Yes, yeah. I podcast. do I do a podcast, uh, which Aaron has been on twice now. Well, yeah. more than that, but we do recording sessions in, you know, batches. Um, and it's basically an improv game where we make up a movie super fast based on a random suggestion from the internet. We each take a, a you know, fictional role in this production and, um, you know, it's very silly and fun and, it has a lot of good pop culture jokes, and we get to pretend to be weird characters. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually goes off the rails very fast in a very entertaining <laughs> way. Yeah,
0: but that's uh, that's the point. Um, I also, uh, I think one of our episodes was about um, trying to get basketball players to be in like a Pirates of the Caribbean type yes. movie. Yes, yeah. And like two days after that, I went to a film, and I saw the preview for... Uncle Drew, yeah. <laughs> which is a movie <laughs> with a bunch of basketball players who are all playing like, these funny roles. And I thought, oh my God, I think we came up with something there. Right, yeah. There's a movie machine running in Hollywood for sure. <laughs> You're getting some right. of these ideas, I think. Uh, let's talk about um, the Minnesota Fringe, too. Uh, what's Hot
1: Chocolate doing at the Fringe this year? Yeah, so Kyle, my, my business partner, Kyle Decker, and I, we, we wrote this show called. Remy Raygun of the Space Brigade, uh, choose your own space opera. Okay, <laughs> it is a all ages, family friendly uh, sci-fi show where the audience can actually make decisions in the middle for the character to follow. Okay, so we're kind of following along with this person who's reading a book, exploring the life of the kind of atypical pulpy sci-fi hero Remy Raygun and her adventures through through space. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really silly and fun. Lots of like. Um, kind of like dumb kitty jokes like that, you know, sold by very professional actors are, is extremely entertaining. And (laughs) we have, yeah, the, the branching paths and like the way that stories play out, I think is pretty satisfying. Okay. We spend a a good amount of time trying to figure out like, how do we make this matter later? And how does this particular element work this way? Sure. Yeah. I think it's going to be Really fun, and uh, if you're going to be at the Minnesota French Festival, definitely swing by and check it out.
0: So when the paths branch, do you have, like, a, pr- a scene written for
1: the direction that, that can go, or... Yep, so basically there's uh, a choice in Act 1 and Act 2 that mean a path goes a different way. Mm-hmm. And then there's two versions of Act 3 and two versions of Act 4 in entirety, Okay. based on the decision that was made in Act 1 and Act 2.
0: Okay, sure. And then you've gone through and made sure that like, okay, so that that this can track then no matter what we, what right. we do. Oh, that's yep. so cool. Um, I'm sure like having improv experience is, is going to help with that because it's like, they chose what? Okay, where, where, where are we going here? What's, what's What are we doing? Right. Which hat am I putting on? Or space helmet in this, in this case? Right. Uh, and also I wanted to mention uh, that you will be representing Hot Chocolate Media at Convergence this year. That's true. That's
1: yes. Great, yeah. We're doing a live episode of The Movie Machine. It's uh, Sunday at 3 o'clock, I believe. Uh, I'm sure you can look it up on the Convergence site if you're interested. Sure. And then uh, we've got uh, Brian Salisbury of the Junk Food Cinema Podcast as our our guest. So that's going to be really exciting. Don't go listen to that. (laughs) <laughs> no, no no, plugs for other movie shows,
0: but yeah, yeah, that's really sure. exciting.
1: Well, I mean, all movie shows should love each other's movie shows. That's, okay. That's the way I feel. I can get into that. Yeah. Well,
0: that's really cool. Uh, if listeners don't know, uh, but if they're uh, going to be in the Twin Cities area or they live around the Midwest, they should definitely check out and know about Convergence. You can find Convergence at convergence-con.org, I think off the top of my head is Sounds the website. Right. Yeah. Uh, And we'll be there, um, Craft of Services as well, representing the show. Um, I'm doing a panel on guilty pleasure movies. Nice. Which is basically, I consider that the Craft of Services panel. So a lot of people are going to be defending their guilty pleasures. And tickets are still available. You can get them again at convergence-con.org. Well, we should get into the format of this show The name of the show is Crafted Services, of course. On every episode of this podcast, we look at a film that is poorly rated, generally lower than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a a movie that's well-remembered by audiences at large, or in the case of today's film, a misunderstood masterpiece? Or is it a mass-understood masterpiece? And if you think that doesn't make sense, try untangling this movie. (laughs) The hardest part of space rollerblading is explaining how you lost your wings. I think. So today we're talking about 2015's Jupiter Ascending. Now, before we continue, I always have to state for the record when we do the show, the show is not in the pocket of Big Tomato. We don't endorse Rotten Tomatoes. We're not connected to them. We just use the movie's aggregate score as a benchmark for how the film was received by critics upon its release. And how that compares to the audience's perception of the movie. Uh, We'll talk about the film's cinema score as well, uh, the score that's derived from exit interviews with audience members in a bit. Uh, First, though, I've got a question for you. I know you'll have an opinion on this. There's a lot of being, hay being made recently about the perceived divide between critics and audiences when it comes to film ratings. Um, critics and moviegoers don't always see eye to eye uh, on if a, if a movie's good or not, but the divide between the opinions of professional reviewers and you know the Joe Schmoes seems to be a real point of contention these days. Um, you've got recent releases like *Hereditary* getting a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes but a D+ on CinemaScore. Um, even Solo got uh, an A-minus on Cinema Score, but only like a 70-71 on Rotten Tomatoes. So
1: what do you think is the source of that divide between the two scores? I think it's people looking for different things in movies, to be honest. Um, I remember uh, a panel at Convergence many years ago uh, where C. Robert Cargill uh, said, find a reviewer that you love, uh-huh. and they will probably be a good guess for whether or not you're, the movie that you're going to like is the one that you like. Okay. If you find a, a review just randomly somewhere online and you find yourself disagreeing with something somebody says in there, then the next review you read is probably going to make you feel the same way. Okay, sure. So <laughs> I, I that always stuck with me, and I thought that was a great way to think about it. Yeah. So, you know, the the people that I talk about movies with and, you know, are, are interested the same way that I am, we, yeah. we tend to like a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I completely get there's other factions of humanity that have different, you know, requirements for what makes a good movie. For sure. Them. And critics are just human beings. Um, you right. know my human beings like or my I own human
0: beings. My friends <laughs> are also human beings. and I sometimes feel pressured to like something my friends like because sure. I don't want to be that guy that's like, Ugh, this thing. And I wonder, I critics must face similar pressures like within their industry to say, boy, everybody seems to hate this movie. Richard Roper says this is right. a piece of crap. Like, do I say? Yeah. And depending on like what type of person that is, if they're like a real iconoclast, then they're like, screw this movie. I don't care. Or they're like, yeah, it's fine. I love, this is one of the reasons that Rotten Tomatoes just doesn't work for me is because you can read a review and it's clear that the person is like, this wasn't really that great, but they never come out and say, it's a garbage fire, and so technically that's like a C plus, you know, or something, so it gets afresh, when clearly this person had a lot of problems with the film. I read a lot, I don't know if I should, but as a critic myself, I read a lot of uh, other critics' work, and I find more and more a perception um, from critics that um, critiques or criticism uh, is under attack, Um, especially recently by... um, this element of toxic fandom that seems oh, to sure. be present, um, having these strong, weird reactions to things um, like the sort of yeah. debate over the Last Jedi. What do you think about that?
1: Sure, I mean I enjoyed it. I, oh, the Last you know, Jedi. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not my favorite Star Wars movie, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. I think the biggest, you know, outcry has either been the, you know, racist and sexist sexist comments, or we wish Luke, Luke had more hope left in him. Yeah, but you know, I think the the movies reflect you know uh, a, a different level than we we had been seeing in Star Wars movies before. And yeah. every time I go to a, a new movie, I go because I want to see something I've never seen before. Yeah, and that was definitely a movie that I'd never seen before, even though it was a Star Wars movie. Oh, certainly. So I think they did some really original things. There's, you know, little elements here and there I, I don't agree with, but I certainly wouldn't step on it the way that so many people have. The structure is great. The storytelling is excellent. Yeah. Performances are excellent. I don't, you know, regardless of whether or not you like the movie, you, you can't say that the movie wasn't done well. Yeah, exactly. In my mind. Yeah. I mean, when I think about
0: bad movies that, deserve a d minus or whatever people are giving it mm-hmm. like it ha- it's nowhere near that like oh, it's yeah. a great looking well-made film with a lot of great moments you know whether or not you agree with certain elements and philosophies that you see in it um,
1: right the whole casino thing though come on uh <laughs> but, but anyway yeah i would agree that the can- <laughs> can't bite scene is the weakest. and
0: i don't know movie. if it's like a generational thing like with i won't say how old i am but like kids these days um, but if I have a like, if I don't like a film, and there have been plenty of films that I don't like, I'm like, oh, well, it's not that great, and then I just kind of go home and forget about it. But the people just get on the internet; that's their first instinct, and just scream about it. Yeah. And I almost see it on the other side as well. Like, I don't think that anybody who just makes a piece of art deserves to be pilloried for something. But you see a lot of these uh, creators like hitting back in a way that's like, oh no, don't, just let your art stand. Yeah, Like people criticized uh, Godzilla, the most recent Godzilla film, and Jordan Vogt-Roberts, the director, went on this like campaign, he went on YouTube videos, and he was like, hey guys, don't, stop it, don't be mean. It's like, don't, why would you, don't do that. I know you're like a millennial, but do you, is it is this generational thing where you just, everybody has to know your opinion, it's available, it's online, so you yeah. have to hear what it is. Just right. make your film and just be, yeah. Interesting, you think that, but I'm gonna make
1: another great movie, and you can just go watch that too. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, in the old days, it would have been, you know, write an angry letter, and maybe you hear back. Yeah. In the you know current level of technology with social media, we have people directly involved with things like movies instantly accessible. Yeah. Through their own accounts on those social media sites. So right. But if I'm, if I'm Ryan Johnson, something, yeah. Angry, if I'm
0: Ryan Johnson, I don't feel the need to
1: like jump on and answer every you know Twitter comment. Or sure. Something. <laughs> And I've honestly, the I don't know if you saw, there's this thing where there's a bunch of just, like, woman-hating monsters who are, like, trying to get a, a fan campaign put together to remake The Last Jedi. I know, I know. Ryan Johnson, to his credit, was like, oh, my God, please try. Yeah. Because he wants to see them set them up to to fail, essentially. Yeah. He wants to see them, you know, build. I think he stopped just
0: short yeah. of actually donating to it. <laughs> right. But I yeah, might yeah, have yeah. just
1: donated if I was him. So, but, yeah, that's, you know, good for him for you know, having a a sense of humor about it.
0: Yeah, well, you have to. Right. Well, our film today did not evoke much of a reaction from critics or audiences on its release, but over time, I think it's accrued a following from a corner of fandom that seems to represent an antidote to toxicity, which can only be a good thing. Yes. Uh, Jupiter Ascending was written and directed, of course, by Lana and Lily Wachowski, probably best known for the Matrix trilogy. And uh, it is to date their last feature that they have done, their most recent uh, feature film. And of course, they have a um, a very varied um, resume. Did you consider yourself a Wachowski fan?
1: I would say so. You know, there's there's ins and outs with my my fandom for them. Sure, I, I enjoyed The Matrix. I don't think I loved it the way that everybody else on the planet did. Interesting. But um, you know, I was I was a, a teenager at the time, and my interests were in different places oh, as well. Uh, so
0: also interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you had to be like the disaffected twenty-one-year-old uh, or whatever I was at the time, I guess, to really get into it. Sure. Uh, I will say um, they did induct it into the Library of Congress, so sure. <laughs> because it's yeah. culturally no, significant. I, yeah, I like it. So, as somebody who is sort of, uh, I like it about the Matrix. Why did you choose Jupiter Ascending to talk about today?
1: I think it's it's original. Okay. So many of the movies that come out are just kind of you know recycles of other junk we've seen before. Okay. Um, you know, there's a bunch of movies that come out now and it's just like, okay, so this is Transformers with this skin on it. Oh, okay. So this is Fast and the Furious with this skin on it, Mm -hmm. or, you know, this is, um, you know, a superhero movie, but with this skin over the top. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, I just, I feel like I've seen a lot of those sort of movies and a lot of the like mainstays and tentpole films are, are kind of falling into that category now because, the studios are looking for what's safe and will make them a ton of money. Formula, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but Jupiter Ascending, I think, was original. They came up with a really cool concept. They created some some visuals and some um, kind of, you know, bizarre characterizations that I think we hadn't seen on film before. Mm-hmm. And they, they took that to a very large scale. They, they spent tons of money making it look really cool and exciting. Yeah, $176 million. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to reward that originality. Sure. Um, I've
0: heard it said that the Wachowskis never repeat themselves, uh, and I would agree with that. Their IMDb yeah. page is a, it's a bingo card of genres and styles, uh, and even MPAA ratings. This is rated PG-13. Mm-hmm. Um, Speed Racer was PG. And I think most of the rest of their stuff is is rated
1: R generally. Can't wait for that G film. The which one? The G film. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> curious to see what the what Gosh, they do. For what that. would they even do? <laughs> um,
0: I know that they are heavily influenced by anime. Sure. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe they could make a live action uh, Miyazaki film or something like that. that would uh, be God awesome. forbid. But yeah, yeah, I'd like to see something like that. Um, and I said before that the budget for this is $176 million. Uh, It made $184 million, uh, internationally, so just barely made the budget back there. Um, it actually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 25th of 2015 uh, in a surprise premiere. It was kind of like they got a bunch of people together and went, hey, check this out. Um, and reaction was pretty much what it was in the general public uh, sure. when the film came out on February 6th of 2015. Uh, we'll get to the ratings of the film, it's rated 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is at a 40 on Metacritic and a 5.3 on IMDb, so kind of right down the middle there. And the cinema score for the film was a B-. minus. So that's sort of... The, th- the funny thing about cinema score, and that's a whole nother podcast, but I feel like it's either feast or famine. It's either, yeah, it was all right, or it was, oh yeah, this is really great. Yeah. You know, like the any greatest mar- movie ever, Marvel ever movie. made advanitive. Yeah. Or yeah. it's I have no idea what's going on, hereditary D minus. Yeah. Um so the fact that it's even the fact that it's B minus, I think it's very rare that you see a B minus on cinema score. I think people literally came out and you were either like mind blown or you were like, What? What is what was that? Sure. Scratching your head. Um which is um Again, I think it just shows this sort of divide in people's opinion right. about the movie. I hope sure. there won't be a divide uh, in between <laughs> on this podcast, but sure. I guess we'll find yeah. out as we get into the film.
1: Can I'm, you? I'm guessing you're leaning more towards that confused side.
0: Um, confusion for sure. Yeah. Uh, not straight out. Uh, make let's petition Warner Brothers to make a new one. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Last Jedi ness, but can you summarize the film? Can the film be summarized?
1: Sure. Uh, I would say that it is uh, about our titular Jupiter. Um, who is a member of a massive farm, which is Earth. <laughs> uh, so so which, far, so yep, good. <laughs> yep. uh, humanity has existed long before we know it, and uh, the highest echelons of humanity have their own planets where they farm other humans to prolong their life indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And she is a genetic reoccurrence of essentially like the queen of these humans, and her, her DNA matches or has lined up in this way to make her possibly royalty. And that puts their empire in threat because she has this now, you know, sudden claim to nobility. Right. And can take over that empire. So this normal girl who cleans toilets for a living. <laughs> right. Suddenly is thrust into intergalactic politics and all of the, the cool sci-fi junk that comes with it. Sure. Yeah, it's sci fi junk ensues. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a that's a pretty good summary. Um I think many people, uh, when they were detracting or criticizing the film would cite the incoherent screenplay. But like you just presented, I think it's the narrative's pretty straightforward, you know? It's yeah. Girl meets Dog Boy. Girl finds out she owns the Earth. Dog Boy fights Dragon Man. You know, the Danish girl is whispery, screaming at everybody. I mean, what's the problem here? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, um, Bees can sense royalty. You know, it's, yeah, it all works out. Um, The Wachowskis, a lot of their films, they they really run the gamut in terms of critical reception. I think most of their films trend um, on the higher scale or on the positive scale. But this film was the lowest rated film that they had directed, at least on Rotten Tomatoes. So... I wonder if that is um, just like we said before, people being confused or if it's sort of a referendum on space films. I mean, that can't be true because just a year before guardians of the galaxy destroyed it. So I wonder why people just reacted so much to this. Um, Don't they love Channing Tatum? Doesn't everybody (laughs) love Channing Tatum? What's, what's, what's the problem here? What's the biz?
1: uh, To that note, I'll be honest when I like first saw the posters and like the trailer and stuff, I thought, like, oh, man, Mila Kunis and Channing Tater Tots. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like this. And But the the girlfriend wanted to go see it, and I was like, yeah, why not? You know, Wachowskis are interesting. We'll see what they, they came up with. And sure. I walked in, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, hey, this is not bad. I'm digging this. <laughs> so I think, uh, to their credit, I think both actors were pushed out of their comfort zones a fair bit. You know, Mila Kunis tends to do the sort of, you know, like, sex comedy or um you know kind of cheap laugh type humor roles sure and you know actually was presented with some interesting and complex scenarios in this to react to and get involved in and she did a great job yeah i was i was very pleasantly surprised by that performance and uh, channing had a lot of you know strong silent type moments where normally he's kind of like you know the charming talky type character sure so it was nice to see him get some challenging moments and see him reacting to things happening and learn about his character that way, as opposed to, you know, getting tons of him explaining how he feels about everything. Yeah, well, if we don't get that. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: he's he's actually in a lot of films that I like, and I don't know what it is about him. Uh, he's to me like the pasta salad of actors, <laughs> in that yes. I would never reach for pasta salad. Uh, I, I always go oh, pasta salad. I'm going to pass that up. But if I have a good pasta salad, it's like. Hey, this is pretty good. This right, pretty yeah, good. yeah, But every single time I have to be reconvinced to watch it. Like, th- we were talking about Logan Lucky. Uh, mm-hmm. He was great in that. Yeah. And, it, but yet, I'm sure the next film that he's in, it's gonna be, we gotta sell it all over again. Ah, oh, Channing Tatum, and I gotta watch it. Well, that guy's pretty good. Yeah. He's good in the, uh, the Jump Street movies, hmm. uh, which require a lot of uh, where we were talking before about that sort of improv comedy sort of talent that I wouldn't right. expect, you know, this former stripper to have, but you know he's got it going on. So, uh, in many ways, um, the script was of course written by the Wachowskis. I have to confess I don't really know their process, and I'm sure there's plenty of like behind the scenes things where they talk about it. But like, if one is the mainly the script person and one is like the directing person, or if they both do you know everything um, equally. Um, although I did learn in researching for the film that. Um, Lana cites uh, The Wizard of Oz and also The Odyssey as inspirations uh, for the story, which I think that comes through. Yeah,
1: yeah, that comes through for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, and they got their start um, writing films. Uh, of course, they did uh, Bound in 1996 was the first thing that they wrote and directed. Um, but they wrote, uh, I didn't know this, uh, the movie Assassins. Do you know the movie Assassins? I don't. Sorry, Antonio Banderas and uh, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, it's... It might be on this show someday, okay. <laughs> if it's my choice. Sure, uh, it is a just balls out uh, sort of bugfuck movie uh, that got a very. It's even lower than its critics hated it, and it, the script was actually rewritten a lot by um, the director. Uh, so the Wachowskis actually that's one of the reasons they decided to get into to directing because they'd have the power. Because they were like, we can't take, we can't just live in Hollywood and have our stuff be rewritten. You know, we have this vision, um, but it's a fun movie. So I don't know, maybe someday. Um, but once they turn to directing to preserve their ideas here we go now you've got these you know writer director combo uh, right, these right. Uh, creators do you think that they're better writers or directors or do you think one comes out in front think, of the other i think
1: they're better directors there're definitely places in most of their movies where i was like nah that line could have gone
0: there's a, yeah there's a lot of um, examples this <laughs> is a, a uh, exposition heavy sort of film sure and they always say in film like show don't tell but when you've got like this universe with uh, liquid, soil, green, and all these things that you have to explain, you need somebody's got to tell you that stuff. Right. And yet, I felt like there were so many parts in the movie where it was like, you guys are doing a great job of showing. I don't think you need to tell so much. Um, yeah. Like in the beginning of the film, like you said, she's cleaning toilets, Jupiter, and she's like, I hate my life a couple times. She says that. And it's like, no, we. I understand. This doesn't look like a super cool life. You know, you're yeah. living with 14 cousins or whatever, and cleaning toilets at 4:30 in the morning. Like, I get it. Yeah. I would also agree that directing is probably their strength. Um although I, I, once again, I'm more up on the matrix than you are, I guess. Um I'd feel like th- the matrix in terms of balancing that um telling the exposition um setting up the world and yet leaving some surprise and finding a way to do it in an interesting way like the rabbit hole speech in matrix is for me the best example of that there's sure. nothing in this film that matches him talking about the matrix you know and saying you know, it's all around you when you go to work, when you go to tr- when you pay your taxes. Like you know mm-hmm. he's just he's still not really telling us anything until yeah. we get that moment where he goes through the rabbit hole and you realize, oh, this is totally different. It's the Wizard of Oz moment to use Lana's example, right. where it's all black and white until you step through the door and it's technicolor. right. And this film starts, they they make the mistake, in my opinion, of uh, starting it. I mean, it starts with a back a flashback to her life. But then we immediately cut to our, the Abraxas family, and not knowing who they are, and I wish that they had held it back for some kind of Wizard of Oz door moment, where we just think, is this going to be some chick in Chicago just cleaning toilets for the whole movie? And then you get that, um, suddenly it's dog boys there, and we go out into space, and it's like, oh my god. Did you see John Carter?
1: You know, I did not.
0: You did not. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I could ruin anything except for it. Not a great movie. Yeah. But they do the exact same uh, thing. Yeah. It starts, it, Medius Rest is a great way to start, but it starts right away and there's all these crazy things and it's like the whole point is he is transported to a magic land, so let's take that trip with him.
1: Yeah, I can I can see your your frustration there. I, I would agree that there's there's definitely places in the movie where the they tell things out of order and it's a little clunky. Um. And that's, that's definitely one of them. I mm-hmm. think the, the beginning could have been stronger in that sense. Yeah. But I think kind of her her experiencing... I like her experiencing the little kind of gray alien creatures when, <laughs> yeah. she's, when she's going to <laughs> donate her eggs. Yeah. And the, you know, like that weirdness. And then she goes back to like her normal life and... I like that there's that element of like, did that really happen or did that not really happen? And then it kind of yeah. you know, continues to progress from there. But if we saw it from her, I like that sort of you know
0: interrupted enlightenment kind of thing. But if we saw it from her perspective and it was a mystery to us as well, then once we finally, she's just going for this routine procedure you know, where they harvest her eggs. And then it's like, no, this is, you're floating now. This is really real. And then Chanty Tater Tots is just zipping all over the room. It's like, what right. is going on? Yeah. But we've already seen spaceships and we've seen by Duna in a weird blue wig. And we know know that the dramatic irony doesn't really work, uh, you know, for me at least like her being cut off from this world. And we, we knowing that there's this weird stuff out there. Sure. Um, Also like there's, they, they're really comfortable. uh, We go back to their directing skills. The Wachowskis like they're really comfortable with this visual spectacle. And I think that that's great. Um, They took a lot of time building up a lot of the things you see in the movie. Um, Titus's ship that's like like this cathedral like inside is like really cool yeah and the way that they just present that um, just matter of factly uh, is great but again if we could sort of see that through her eyes like her experiencing this larger world you know I just think that that would be I don't know that'd be more effective did you see Cloud Atlas
1: I haven't seen Cloud Atlas see I haven't seen that one either Yeah, so
0: we're not the Wachowski I've seen seen little clips
1: of it but Yeah. yeah
0: Um, I think that from what I've heard, uh, Cloud Atlas is probably the film that has the most acting talent, like on screen, that they've ever worked with. And I think they are definitely the masters of conceptualizing a space, you know, for an action scene or or the action like of a film, um, constructing a scene. But I don't know if they really can pull great things out of actors, like if they're an actors directors. Because you get there, yeah. There's bad lines in this film, but I think like a good director could get an actor to to deliver it in like yeah. a way that really works. Yeah. And um, I, yeah. Just there's some unconvincing sort of delivery of let's say it's kind of borderline dialogue in this. Some Meryl Streep sure. could make. I've, I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. She can make <laughs> that work, but it's just kind of more matter of fact for Mila Kunis. Um, sure. I want to talk about Mila Kunis, our our heroine, you know, mm. of this film, Jupiter or Jupe. Um I know that you said before you're like oh no no oh, Mila's in this <laughs> yeah. but how do
1: you think that uh she does in this film how do you think she sort of uh pulls it off I think she did surprisingly well I mean I, again she's she's not Meryl Streep but well no, I think she does a a very convincing job of playing this role Yeah and you know not just playing herself with a skin on top like her her other type of movies Right yeah. to get back to that sort of feeling that I was talking about before um, her her typical fare is much different than this. I think she allows herself to become kind of absorbed into this characterization, into this world more than I've seen from her in in other films.
0: Yeah, I thought I wasn't a huge fan of Black Swan, but I thought that she was pretty good in that. It's a small yeah. role, but sure. Um, yeah, that's. I think she gets trapped in this in this sort of pull between. The whole point is she's supposed to be maybe mundane is the wrong word, but a more conventional person yeah, who is absolutely. introduced to this weird world. And if she's a mundane person, then how does she play it? You know, if her reaction to things is supposed to be, wow, I, I don't know anything about this. Then is she just kind of the boring sort of black and white label <laughs> generic character? Yeah. Or can she affect in this world some way? Right. Um, And I don't think that they ever necessarily break out of that. Um, She does a lot of falling off of things for a movie that's called Jupiter Ascending. The way they put her in peril a lot is she's falling off the Sears Tower. She's falling into the great red spot of Jupiter. She's just always plummeting somewhere and going, ah, and getting picked up by a guy on space rollerblades, which is cool. Yeah, (laughs) Space rollerblades should have been the the next bullet time. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best.
1: Um, I, have, I have a special connection to the space rollerblades. Oh, my, boy. My, my late father was a mathematician, and he uh, he, specia- he specialized in differential geometry. That was his specialty. <laughs> okay, sure. So when he has the line about differential curves right. that he rides, I'm like, Oh, I know what that means! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not I a know not to mathematician, but yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. Right. So yeah I was I was very excited at that moment because I was like hey they brought in some real world science to like coat the the goofy sci-fi thing like they did in the old Star Treks and stuff right right like so I was I was very pleased at that moment specifically
0: they definitely have a love I think for uh, science and kind of intellectualism and definitely philosophy that kind of comes into their films a lot yeah. and I'm still waiting for them to kind of level up past the kind of pop psychology or like the you know, sophomore year uh, world religion a student that they've uh, kind of suffused their films with. You know, it's present sure. in The Matrix for sure, but definitely in the sequels. Yeah. This, um, I don't know if you watch Sense8 at all, but I, I find I've it I've seen there. a little bit of it,
1: but I haven't seen the whole thing.
0: Um, you know, we like The Matrix, for instance. I think it really works because it's clean. We get it. It's, you know, a digital Buddhism, basically. Um, there's no, let go. There is no spoon, that sort of thing. Yeah. But there's endless scenes in Reloaded and Revolutions where characters are talking about fate, and there's heavy-handed symbolism. And there's characters yeah. with like that's specifically sp- that's religious the part that names. I'm not, I'm not all that excited. Yeah, about. right. Yeah, uh, it starts to become the anime tropes that it's inspired by, where people just talk forever, you know, about right. like, well, this is how the Sephiroth works, or whatever. It's like, yeah. all right, let's get to the back to the jet boots. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's talk more about the cast here. Uh, we talked about Mila Kunis already. Of course, we talked about Channing Tatum. Um, as this goes on, there's a lot of names here that you may or may not recognize, uh, listener, but, uh, I'd say the first person we'd have to talk about, uh, other than the leads would be of course, Eddie Redmayne, yeah. who, uh, a lot of, uh, Hullabaloo was made over the fact that he was, um, the nominated for the Danish girl, I think, uh, while this movie was in theaters. So people saw this and they're like, this guy's going to get an Oscar <laughs> for playing Danish girl. But... I don't know. I think it's a little more uh, nuanced than that. What did you think of his yeah. portrayal of
1: Bala Mabrasics? I really liked it. I thought he kind of took on this sort of very polar type character where you know, everything was <laughs> sort of like. <laughs> well, he was, he either kind of, you know, he made his opinion known very clearly and concisely mm-hmm. when he was calm. Or he would like burst over the top into this like encompassing rage and the the moments when he was more, you know, wrathful or intense were were made more, you know, attention grabbing by that. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's a very recognizable actor just cuz of the way his his face is built. Yeah. Um and you know his his body language, but I think he did a good job of stepping outside of that and creating this sort of personality and this kind of, you know, odd noble Lafitte type, <laughs> right. uh, you know. Right. Characterization. I thought that was really interesting. Certainly, it's campy. It's not. Oh like yes. <laughs> if you're if you're not into like sci-fi, if you're you know expecting to see a type of performance you'd see in, in a movie, a biopic like The Danish Girl. Yeah. Like, of course, you're not going to look at this performance and think, "Boy, this is a real guy." <laughs> well, yeah, but man, he's cool as a sci-fi villain. He's a, yeah, he's a human alien from space. He's not right. real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
0: pity the poor audio engineer though that had to pick up yeah. all of his. His whisper talking and then, and then probably, ah! yeah. and then he'd scream, and it's like, Whoa, it's blowing it out. They probably just did ADR
1: later, yeah, of course, positively.
0: Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely different. Um, as we said before, and this is usually you know near the end of the show, we talk about like highlights and some of our favorite moments. I'll drop this in really fast. I'm not like a big uh, history channel, like aliens like type guy but i love i love this idea of like humanity originating somewhere else and being seated you know on planets um, that we get introduced to so these are human people that we can relate to but not because they're thousands of years old and they whisper shout and stuff like that and i thought that
1: well species has diverged since then the cultures they were raised in are very different yeah yeah and i think that
0: his alienness you know works in that way what doesn't work for me is just before he dies, spoiler alert, I hope you've watched this movie. If you're listening to this show, we get like a flash of sort of relatability in that. Yes, he killed, um, Sapphira or whatever, but maybe she asked him to, maybe he's been trying to work out this grief and this response, feeling of responsibility over the years. But for most of the movie, he's just kind of the, you know, bad guy, like the sort of matinee, uh, villain type thing. and, Usually, like good villains, you know, think they're right, or we can, you know, find something to kind of hook into in them. And yeah, he's basically just the guy that yells at
1: everybody, <laughs> and then he tries to kill Jupiter with a pipe or whatever at the sure. end of the movie. It felt kind of Shakespearean to me, you know, in the vein of, you know, nobility or families that are mm-hmm. kind of all vying for throne in the various sure. different, yeah, various different uh, Shakespeare plays in that sense. Yeah, um, I. Y- y- most like big sci-fi villains, what they want is like order. In my vision of order, yeah, that's sort of motivation for most of like the big tropey villains. And I, I, saw that here. Sure, it's not all that you know original or compelling, but it, you know it works right. for, for me in that sense. Yeah, I, I understand the, that characterization. I understand the way that they've they've written that part.
0: Yeah, if they and plus. The something that I think that also gets dropped, um, with all the lasers flying, is the fact that they introduce this idea of, you know, time is the real killer here, you know, it doesn't matter what you can accomplish if you we're all trying not to die. And so our solution to that is, you know, liquefy planets. But if he had tried to kind of sell her on it or you know, oh, th- these are just prisoners or something like that. We take a hundred rapists and get the best juices out of them, and like that's how <laughs> we can make the Restorax or whatever it is. Uh, they never really they are removed morality. They're so, well, like you said, they've—they've evolved differently, and so they're so separated from this. Yeah, we—we we blow right. planets. one what, what, sure. What's the problem? But so you can never really go. Hmm, he's got to get. This is no killmonger. They, you never sure. go like. Hmm. Good point. you know, like, Yeah. All right. Screw this guy. <laughs> Um, His sister and brother are played by Tuppence Middleton and Douglas Booth Uh, Tuppence Middleton is another face That you'll see in a lot of uh, Wachowski Productions uh, as Kalik And Douglas Booth as Titus I saw him in There's a pretty good BBC uh, miniseries Of Great Expectations that he plays Mm. Pip in That's the one where um, Gillian Anderson Plays Mrs. Havisham She's really good in that Cool. Um, Other than that Just kind of blandly good looking people Yeah who are there to provide complications as the plot goes forward.
1: Yeah. I was not familiar with any of their, their other roles at a glance. But I'm sure if I comb through their IMDB page, I might be able to find something else that was interesting.
0: Titus is an interesting figure because he seems like he's kind of on board, like he's a good guy or trying to help out. And then it, it turns out that he just wants kind of what his brother has. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we expect a twist or a betrayal like that from a villain. Kalik is a, is a mystery to me, though, because she's the one that kind of gets uh, Jupiter into this in the first place. And then she just kind of does a fade and she's not really part of the film after that. Yeah. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to have her return, uh, you know, at the end or just be a, a involved somehow in the film's climax. But she's really just the kind of first guide that kind of gets her into this world. And then it's like, all right, see, ya. I'm just going to take a bath or something like that, <laughs> which is kind of disappointing. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. I would say that that Titus was the, the weakest part of the movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I felt like, you know, every time he was on screen, I was like, that's a shit eating grin, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how does, how does everyone not immediately see through your dumb ass? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: he doesn't have the charm of a uh, Tom Hiddleston, for instance. It's like, I right. know this yeah, guy's yeah. going to betray me, but let's hear what he has to say. Hope he doesn't stab me later on. Uh, and then everybody else, I mean, there's nobody really to point out. Um, I said uh, Baiduna before, um, plays Razo, one of the um, mm-hmm. sort of mercenary guys. Uh, I but love of course, the mercenaries. They're really cool. Uh, yeah. She's got that cool like, hover bike, too. Um, but then they just kind of disappear and they're gone. Um, Maria Doyle Kelly is somebody you might uh, recognize. Um, she plays, um, she's on Orphan Black for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's been a character actress. A lot of the people that appear in this film are um character actors or lesser known actors who you would see a lot on um like bbc shows like i feel sure. like the wachowskis were just like watching like bbc america late one night and they're like "Get me that one what about that one oh she's good yeah. get her yeah uh and they populate this world of characters it's cheaper than keanu bring them on yeah exactly characters who by the way there is like a lucasian level of character naming in this film oh, like I love it's it. come on let's go yeah. some of these uh <laughs> We'll talk about the significance of abrasics uh, later on, but there's sure. uh, phyllopericardium, yeah. <laughs> which is just like what happens if you mix a cardiologist and like a Greek restaurant. Yeah, uh, There's uh, maledictes. Wonder if that's a good guy. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. There's chicanery night, <laughs> which is just. Uh, they just call Mr. On-The-Nose. What about that? Yeah. I like the fact that everybody refers to each other as, like, Mr. and then their ridiculous name. Like, it's very, yeah. this is very formal thing in the universe. Oh, yeah. They reminded me of Dark City a lot. Like, oh, Mr. Yeah. Book and Mr. Harrison. Yeah, yeah. I dig that. Uh, and, of course, um, somebody who we need to talk about merely because it could launch an entire conversation about what they were going for here. But Terry Gilliam appears in this film in the most gilliam-esque sequence a sequence that is clearly inspired by brazil uh it's of course the sequence in the middle of the film where they're going through all the bureaucratic red tape to get yep. jupiter's queen ship validated or whatever it is and yep. as you watch it you go "This just this feels a lot like brazil and then the bridge yep. keeper himself shows up at the end of the thing and you're like yep. okay all right yeah so yeah. now
1: terry gilliam's in this movie what what am i what, what did you make of it I really enjoyed that scene. I, You know, it was the one moment in the scene where we get to see how the rest of this society in space lives. Yeah. And, you know, we get the sense that it's, like, insanely multicultural. The technology is crazy. Uh, but, you know, they still have everyday problems. Yeah. And that was very, like, a humanizing moment. Like, they're not... You know, space elves at this point, there are still like well, they, they can humans. Are, but yeah, I see what
0: you mean. Yeah. And they're bigger problems too. I mean, like, there's the, you know, want, want joke, like about the DMV, but sure. we wait in line the DMV, but this, they're so far beyond us, beyond us, even their administrative problems are galactic and scary. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I can kind of see that.
1: Yeah.
0: I think maybe there was more of that late night cable going on and they saw Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's literally yeah. a man with wings here, you know, that's sure. going to save a woman. So, um,
1: yeah, forget the wings. He should have kept the boots. The boots better. What is it? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And plus so Sean Bean, oh, I didn't even mention Sean Bean. Oh, Sean Bean. Typical of this yeah. thing of Sean Bean in his career. Yeah. Uh he's the B guy, so he got he's got the wings, but why does the dog guy have wings? You just have wings if you're in the legion, I guess.
1: I got well, they they were skyjackers, so presuming I was presuming okay. that they were like some variety of They're like of, paratroopers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Some variety of of winged fighters that was uh appealing to me. I liked that they they established and continued to like make that part of the world that there are these hybrid creatures because so we had like the mousey guy who works for um Balem and we had yes. the, the owl guy who works for Kalik. Yes. Um and then, you know, we I think there's one other one in that um bureaucracy sequence. There's somebody else in there I think who was like another hybrid. So we have like this running thing of of hybrid people that right. you know, have these, these different types of DNA and that was that was really fascinating from... uh yeah design perspective and it was rewarding as it went on to like look and see oh yeah cool and this guy's that thing and there's an elephant guy is there oh that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. whose character name is nash as in Gah nash yeah okay come on yeah <laughs> <Yes>. hang on <laughs> Sorry, the new Solo movie had a lobster man named Therm Scissor Punch. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So don't tell me they're not allowed to do that. So, well, they're totally allowed, but those are
0: totally the... Um, this is where you just put, like, four X's in, and so that way Find and Replace will know how to come back to this. And yep. it's like, what the script's do in 30 minutes? God yeah. I guess, maybe?
1: Or it could be they just wrote in an Elephant Man in the script, and then, yeah. like, you know when it came to be, like, credited... Hey, what do you want to be credited as, Jeff? Uh, uh, what's, like, uh, Nesh. Do Nesh. Right. You know.
0: David Lynch said no? Okay, just call him Nesh, I guess. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I did enjoy that as well. I think that that really... We talked about uh, Wizard of Oz, and we talked about um, the The Odyssey. I think this is very much uh, redolent of a fairy tale in space. And in a fairy tale, you need... Science fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Um, Space opera. You know, you need fantastical characters, animal people. You know, I think that totally fits in. Um, If we're going to talk now about things that we really liked about the film, sort of the highlights, I'd have to talk about the dragon men. I don't know if that's what they're supposed to be called, (laughs) but the guys that are like part dragon, which... And I didn't even read into this the first time I saw the film, but I think they're supposed to be like the intelligent um, Saurians that -hmm. were on Earth initially. Like, yeah, they were when humanity comes in and like blows up Earth, you know, to get rid of the they maybe grabbed a couple of those guys and like put them into service. But the first time I saw the film and I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or not, but I definitely had that sort of okay kind of reaction. But I thought I remember those dragon guys like they were cool. Um, especially the fight that uh, that Kane has with them at the end. Yeah. Uh, which is, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, the main dragon guy's name is Sargorn. And I thought maybe the Gorn part was like a reference to Star Trek. Sure. Because the lizard guy's <laughs> yeah. in Star Trek. Channing um, Tatum, of course, uh, was a real highlight for me as maybe the um, fairy dog father uh, in this fairy tale. <laughs> it's cute. Um, and I was looking up, uh, there's some behind the scene things about how they did the the boots uh the roller skates and they actually had like a green screen ramp that he uh because he learned to rollerblade for the movie he didn't know how uh would rollerblade on and then they would just you know eliminate that and then composite him into the scene and that's how they got the feeling that he was going over these sort of ramps and around turns and stuff like that which is brilliant you'd think yeah the old way to do it would be wire him up um, and then we'll just have him like, well, hold yeah, your wiggle, legs like, like this, legs. you know, yeah. the, the Superman flying thing, uh, yeah. the Christopher Reeve thing. Uh, but instead, they just literally had him do it and then put it in the scene. And it's like, oh, that's perfect.
1: And the design on those boots was excellent. Every time we got a close up, I was just like, show me more of the boots. I have yeah. to know more. Like- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all it, the little details like that in, in the Wachowskis movies just make me very happy. Yeah. They, they clearly, you know, want well, a lot of attention this. paid to the, the little details like that and yeah. you know, even like you know piercings on like the, the eyebrows of the the bounty hunters and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah oh man, this is great. Like they really love the fun and like they're embracing this setting so much.
0: Yeah, they, they ran off the uh the the name in a couple seconds, but they definitely thought about <laughs> everything else about the guy, right? Like, uh, right. Nine Kane, we got it. Yeah. Um, there's a couple. Uh, I liked his shield. Uh, which why doesn't everybody have one of those? That was like very useful. Yes. And this is like pre uh, Captain America. Uh, actually no, it's not. It's 2015, I guess. All right. Well, we'll give that one to him. Okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just like everybody should have one of these things yeah. because he
1: could block. Even, even before then, it was. Uh... Um, phantom menace the gungan shields oh yeah so oh no
0: don't compare it to phantom menace for me no (laughs) you have to admit
1: it's much better
0: than phantom menace uh yeah um and then the one element that's a little too far is they bleach his hair or whatever was that to make him look more otherworldly or something
1: well they mention in the there's a line about him being born half albino or something like that. Oh, and that, okay. And that made him being, that made him like less valuable to the the gene splicer who was trying to sell that batch to the military. Interesting. So the This fact, was in the film? Yeah, that was, there's, I think it's a Sean Bean line when they're in, St- oh, in okay. Stinger's Boy, house. There's so much. He talks for sure. so long. <laughs> yeah. There's a line about how they had to sell him at a discount okay. to, to the military, but he turned out to be the best one of the whole bunch. Yeah. So I think that was the intention there.
0: I know they really checked uh they really thought about the idea of him being like a lone wolf, right? Right. like apparently if wolves throw a wolf out of their pack or whatever, that wolf is in trouble, like he's probably going to die mm-hmm. unless he adapts and becomes like a one-man pack basically. And so right. I think they were really going off of that cuz he does. I mean, it's fine to have I've also heard a lot of comments about people like Jupiter because she doesn't pick up a gun and isn't like a uh Rambet type character. Sure. But Tato Tats is getting it all done here. Like he's yeah. really working overtime no. <laughs> in this movie. Yeah.
1: But she also doesn't, you know, shy away from, you know, ha- making her voice heard or yeah. you know, and I do it, like having the... an opinion of her own. Yeah, oh so.
0: certainly, yeah. She doesn't yeah. she doesn't care about the long-standing traditions of this world in in great uh Know, buck rogers or whatever it is Farscape yeah. style she's the human that walks into this like hey i'm an american <laughs> you yeah. know and i'm gonna tell you yeah. you think you're entitled let me tell you something <laughs>
1: <laughs> right yeah but she's not uh you know waiting for him to scoop scoop her up or anything if if he's not there yeah right i like her i yeah. do
0: like her one uh, gun moment though where yes. she gets the gun and he's like you're not gonna shoot me And she's like yeah all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> he'll live <laughs> shoots him in the leg yeah, I'd honestly watch another film in the Juke series. Oh, uh, me too. If there was one, um, maybe if it was written and directed by somebody else, though. Okay. Because I think that that's the key for the Wachowskis. I think they should absolutely keep creating, but I think that they should be, establish their own house, like the house of Wachowski. You know, become impresarios in the way that Del Toro does sometimes, where he'll come up with an idea and then like, okay, you you take this and run with it, you know, and just produce Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because they're clearly idea people. And I don't want to see yeah. them become... To me, this is kind of like their lady in the water. I don't want to see them become uh, Shyamalan-esque in that he clearly has a lot of ideas as well. But he's hit the point where he has totally outstripped like his capabilities as a, as a writer and director. And you see interviews with him and he just looks so frustrated and all of his comments are about how the critics hate him and stuff like that. And it's like, just have some ideas and just, you know, just farm them out. Like let somebody else take a shot at them. I think that that would be good for them. I don't know. um, I know that I think only Lily worked on season two of sense eight or is it Lana? One of them is sort of taking a break and the other one was um, seeing sense eight to its conclusion. And so like, I don't want to see them get you know burned out. Right. Um, I don't think they're working on anything now which is sort of disappointing to me as well because i'm I'm a fan of them i I really do like um most of their stuff speed racer eh, (laughs) again
1: can't can't be shit but entertaining sure yeah yeah if you don't if you don't walk in expecting campy then you know too bad see ya
0: yeah and they've definitely have seemed to reach a particular audience uh with sense eight there's a lot of people that really um, like that a lot um I want to talk about that audience. Um, I usually check out YouTube or blogs for comments about the films that we talk about. Uh, And there was a surprising lack of content about Jupiter Ascending. I thought for sure I could at least find a gaggle of dudes, you know, standing in front of a bookcase like waiting to shit on it. Um, And I didn't see that. I think it just sort of missed that kind of uh, critical appreciation or or, um, disparagement But there's one place you can find plenty of tributes to J.A., as I'm going to call it, uh, which is on Tumblr. Uh, The film has become something of a cult classic for younger, uh, mostly sci-fi, or mostly female sci-fi fans. Sure.
1: Um, In fact, the Wikipedia page... It's an uh, epic romance in space. Yeah.
0: The Wikipedia page uh, specifically calls out the, quote, niche of female science fiction fans who appreciated the film's campiness and deviation from the typical gender stereotypes in a genre that is traditionally male-centered. Yeah. And I think that fits it to a T. And it's something that I appreciate about the Wachowskis who let's face it started with leather and lots of guns, lots of guns. Yes. Like that's how they started. Uh and they go from that to something like Sense8 that has a lot of different characters of yeah. uh, different sexes, different orientations, uh or something with uh, Jupiter ascending that even though it is a shooty um, sci-fi uh, sci-fantasy um Feel, deals with things like egg donation and pregnancy, right? Um, family, you know the hero, the heroine literally solves a problem with a maxi pad. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you wouldn't see that in like Rambo. Rambo would right. die before he staunched the bleeding of his wounds with a maxi pad. But yeah. the fact that they bring that sort of outside perspective to it uh, is something that we need more of. Uh, which leads to my question: Is this YA? Would you consider this like young adult fiction? It feels to me like this yeah, could have I mean, come from an uh, ascendant sure. Hunger Gamey, whatever those books are. Yeah. I don't really yeah, read them, but Maze I, Runner, Maze Runner. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I
1: was trying to think of like some other big franchise that was like that. Um, Compliant. What are they I've, called? Yeah. What are the ones? De- they're set Defiance, in Chicago and they're on, the, on trains. Like, yeah, and, yeah, Allegiant and Allegiant. And the one. Is that what it is? <laughs> there's, there's three of them. I feel like calling it YA, like, not to say that YA isn't oh, I'm not. interesting, but, like, I feel like calling it, like, that kind of demeans it a little cheapens bit. Cheapens it, maybe. Yeah, cheapens it. Huh, okay. Because I think that There's they're... a lot of Trumbler people that would disagree with you. Sure. <laughs> I mean, because obviously there you're trying to play to a younger audience, and I, don't, I think that this, if you're, you know, an, an adult who's had time to kind of move through that adolescence phase and has spent time, you know, looking at other aspects of the genre and seeing little elements of that in this movie, I think there's more there for you than you'd expect from a YA. Like, YAs have oftentimes really great stories in sci-fi, but they shy away from developing to that super deep level because mm-hmm. they want the journeys to be important to the, the specific characters. They want you to be able to see yourself in those characters. Sure. And that that journey is the most important thing. But, you know, in this, I think... Half the fun of it is getting to experience this cool, crazy world and all the stuff that's in it, mm. and you know, as as a, a lifelong sci-fi fan and fantasy fan, you know that's a ton of fun for me. Yeah, so I, I really like that aspect of it.
0: Well, I think by that criteria, I mean Star Wars is is YA. Sure. I mean it's the same thing. It's a crazy world, it's simple characterizations, it's seeing a character go from being a nafe to having a little more control over his or her yeah. world. And so Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with something being sure YA. I
1: well, would um, say Empire would be the the adult version of a new hope. Okay. In that sense. Where does that leave Jedi then? <laughs> I think I think Jedi is a, a cartoon uh, a, network. A clever <laughs> fusion of the two. Okay. All right. Yeah. I right. see that. So yeah.
0: Well, I'm not a prepubescent girl, so the movie doesn't really affect me in that way. Sure. Um, but I guess I understand it. Yeah. Um, people have called it, I mean, we've called it campy, um, but the problem for me, I think the film is a little bit, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying I see what's going on. I think the film and its fandom are engaging a little bit in what I call um, the camp dodge, which sounds like a... Two week retreat where you'd work on your uh, dodgeball skills, but what I really yeah. mean is that yeah, uh, with Ben Stiller, yeah, uh, is that w- this movie was I think clearly com- completed in earnest. I think that they meant all this. I think that a- this a lot of this was like this is a big deal. Okay, you see what corporations do? They exploit people. They think they own the earth. They turn literal lifeblood into uh, something that you know benefits the rich. Uh, I think that they really meant all this and then when they show it and people laugh about it, they turn around and go, Oh yeah, well we were you know we were trying to be funny, like it's it's you know, it's this camp. It's supposed to be funny. Kind of like the room. Like Tommy was oh, he thought he was making something like really serious, like oh, this sure. is my life, this is my heart on the page. Yeah. And the people laughed and he goes, ha ha ha. It's funny, yes. I make comedy. Yeah. It's like, but you weren't trying to make a comedy though. Yeah. And I think that this movie totally works as something that is self-aware and camp, but I don't, I don't think it's that self-aware.
1: Yeah, I i would agree. I'm not trying you. to haul anybody off to jail. I'm no, just, no, I just no, want no, yeah. us to be honest about like what sure. it is. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're looking for a critique of society, I think the, the matrix is a better Wachowski film for you in that sense. If you're looking for, you know, a commentary on the world we live in, there's there's better choices than, than this one. You're saying there really is a thing in my belly that they're going to... A little a, a worm? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's all true.
0: You're hearing it here first. So when I mentioned on Facebook yeah. that we were talking about this movie on the show, immediately a few of my fans who are of the right age and are female mm-hmm. were all like, oh, I love it. It's, it's so camp. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but... It doesn't... It's camp in retrospect. Like, it's... You know, you're enjoying it. I don't know if you know that you're enjoying it ironically. Like, I don't think that the Wachowskis would set out to make something that was to be laughed at. They're not laughed at, but to be appreciated. It's sort of in that yeah. way. Because you watch Sense 8, and Sense 8 is also, like... There's a lot of pathos. Like, it takes itself very seriously. And there are lighter moments in it, but I don't, you know... As far as it being like a camp masterpiece, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what my allergy to camp is. Sure. It show show me on the doll where the Rocky Horror Picture Show touched you. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> right. Yes.
1: <laughs> Literally anywhere you can imagine. The let me make a comparison here. So like your epitome of camp is something like you know Rocky Horror Picture Show or like Labyrinth or something like that, where you're going like really far into oh the you know, outlandish fun adventure. The other side for me is something like uh, a Christopher Nolan film where it's like if a character... Oh, that's Bathos.
0: Like that's yeah. going beyond the pale into like, yeah.
1: Right. That's that's the you know far opposite scale. And I think there are some people who really like that sort of world where like, you know, characters aren't really allowed to have fun. And like, you know, they're not willing to let these characters kind of experience something unusual or like a little oh, bit okay. odd. Sure. You know, and like I love letting, you know, the creativity flow in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, to be honest, most Christopher Nolan movies just don't do it for me. It's not they're not good storytelling, but there's just that kind of sense of like, you know, plotting purpose and like we are telling an important story. We are telling an important story. Yeah. And it's like, ah, okay, guys, just like, can you stop to like have fun for a moment, please?
0: I'm really like at half so, and half
1: on Christopher Nolan. Like for yeah. me,
0: the the most the emotional and personal movies are my favorite. Like mm. I, I've heard people like take a grab on it, but I really do like Insomnia. Like I really do mm. think that it's like a you know well crafted film, and Al Pacino's really great in it. Um, I like The Dark Knight because it's the closest we'll ever get to like Michael Mann doing a a superhero movie. Like, I think it works in that way, but yeah, there's part, like, especially dark Knight rises. Like, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. He's climbing out of a hole. All right, great. How do you get back to Gotham? That's what I want (laughs) to know. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe a discussion for another time. But uh, <laughs> or, uh, or I feel like I brought up Christopher Nolan the last time I was on your show. <laughs> this guy hates Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird coincidence, but oh well. When he has a movie that doesn't do well, yeah, we can talk about I it. Just, yeah, I just feel like one of the reasons that movies don't do well is because they can't be, because they're willing to be a little goofy and not take every single moment super seriously. Yeah. And there's some people that I think because Nolan that would do just, exactly as you're describing. Like it's like an allergic reaction where they I think know, he shrink would, away. And he say, would oh my everything is broken. I can't watch this anymore. He
0: would literally break up into little pieces and just fall into an empty right. suit on the ground. I think if he ever was able to do that, I don't think he can do that. Right. And that is an important tool I think in the filmmaker's toolbox. You mm-hmm. know that to have as a director. So yeah, you brought me back. You did it. Yeah, I'm okay with this movie with the lady with deer ears. Yeah, <laughs> she's a deer. What? She's part deer. How does that? Why would you splice that? What is that good for?
1: <laughs> Maybe run really fast. Yeah, uh,
0: she can hold really still. Have very good. And listen for danger. Yeah, <laughs> she's a good listener. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll just say that. Um, Eight foot vertical leap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh. I I want to talk really quick about uh, the astrology uh, that is present, kind of, in the film. Okay. Um, I mean, clearly, like, even the title, um, she talks in the beginning about Oh, you meant
1: astronomy, Uh, not astrology. Yeah, really. (laughs) Just checking. I was like... I was like, okay, and then my brain was going like, wait a minute, where was astrology in this movie?
0: Well, because she's born under, you know, <laughs> yes.
1: the sign. And, and from what I understand,
0: like, you know, Jupiter rising, you know, on your chart is, is supposed to be a, a symbol of um, prosperity, you know, and, and wealth, uh, which, you know, she, she's queen of the earth, for what, what, sure. what that's worth. Um, and her dad is an astronomer. Mm-hmm. Uh which means that he, would, I Another hope, great would great character hate... actor. Yeah, I was sad to watch Diane yeah. James screen. Darcy, yeah, who yeah. Uh, dies brutally in this. Yeah. speaking of Bathos, like it's yeah. just like ridiculous. Said, so, "Oh, honey, let's name her Jupiter." Bam!
1: Give me all your fucking money. They saw his gold-plated telescope. Take and that telescope. Knew they had to have it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we saw that in the window. Yeah, who later on Jupiter is going to get one off of eBay, and the starting bid is. Uh, four thousand dollars, thirty nine sure. ninety nine, and she's got five thousand. I don't know if she or the Wachowskis have ever eBayed, but she's not going to get that telescope. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to go up before that. Um, you know, it's going to get sniped for sure. But uh, so the astronomer dad would probably hate astrology. At least I hope so. Yeah. Um, but there are like um mythological or sort of esoteric references. You know, even the um, name of the um, family, the Abraxis. You know. I had to look this up, but like Abraxas is like a figure in like um, Gnosticism. Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah. Um, And it's supposed to be like this um, great archon or like this great spirit of like this invisible world, which I think kind of makes sense. Um, In sort of Gnostic or like Kabbalistic kind of ways, like the seven letters in his name are supposed to add up to like the seven known planets, you know, of the Gnostic time. So there's that. Um, In uh, Isophacy which is like the Greek uh, practice of like adding up the letters in your name or, or in words to make a number. Hmm. Um, it adds up to 365, which are sort of like the days of the year, which also fits with astrology yeah. and the calendar and stuff like that. So that was clearly chosen for a reason. Yeah. I for, just don't know. Kubrick-esque conspiracy yeah, funsies. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the room 237 uh, yeah. version of yeah. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending? Um,
1: so there's all I have of the take it aside. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please do. But it's... That image you you mentioned before of, like, the dude in front of a bookshelf who wants to tell you his opinion just, like, (laughs) keeps roaring back into my head just how spot on that is. And I keep thinking, like... What would that dude in front of the bookshelf think about this as we're talking about it?
0: Well, I said that there are a few videos on YouTube, but there are not oh, no man. videos. There are videos yeah, on YouTube, yeah. and mo- most I'm sure of there them millions of those videos. Most of them have to do with this stuff I'm talking about. Like, I saw yeah. one video that I got about five minutes into, and was like, "I'm okay. I don't. I can't join another cult this year." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this lady goes another on for cult. F- which was, what was the first one. <laughs> well, uh, th- th- this lady goes on for like forty minutes about the the uh, magical symbolism of Abraxas and that sort of thing, and I guess my question is: Do you think that John Travolta saw this movie and like punched through a straw hat? Because this is exactly what he was trying to do uh, with like something like Battlefield Earth. Like once this was over, if you sat me down and told me, "All right, now we have this religion. It's called Galaxology, and yeah. all this stuff is real. Like their humanity really does come from somewhere else, and they own all the planets and stuff like that," and I'd be like. Oh yeah, okay. Now it all makes sense. Like it feels like I don't want to get a shut down, but <laughs> sure. it feels like Scientology to me.
1: A little bit, yeah. yeah.
0: Like if this was, I don't know, maybe the Wachowskis aren't letting us yeah. in on the whole picture. Well, I mean the yeah, <laughs> and he made and he made dear people. <laughs> it's like I just feel like yeah, okay. a lot of
1: their movies kind of revolve around that conspiratorial aspect too. That there's
0: something we don't know about.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a hidden world. Right. Um, and that, you know, the Matrix is obviously the the biggest and brightest of those stars. Yeah. But the you know that that's res- resonant here and uh, V for Vendetta as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's
0: which was adapted by them, but mm-hmm. wasn't an original idea. Sure. Of course, it came from the graphic sure.
1: novel. So yeah, I mean, it's different from the the graphic novel. Yeah. I've I've had some good, very long discussions with with fans about pluses and minuses of that and. How it works versus the the comic, which is again maybe a discussion for another day. But
0: yeah, I don't have a whole like Charlie Day chart of like right. how their releases, but it does seem like they've got like an original idea, then they'll adapt some stuff in their own sort of inimical style and then do their own thing again. So I bet they're probably working on something right now. Sure, they just with the underperformance of this, nobody's beating down their door to do right. adaptations of their own work right now. So sure. this would normally
1: be where we would get an anime or a graphic novel uh, adaptation before their next thing. Yeah. When I heard that, uh, Robert Rodriguez was making the battle angel Alita adaptation. I was like, did they not, were the Wachowskis not available? They were sleeping on that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like right up their alley. That would have been something they would have loved.
0: I bet with, uh, James Cameron producing. Yeah. Maybe I guess they don't have the hookup with James Cameron. Maybe they don't, they don't work together. Could be, um, which is too bad. I'd like to see what, what would come out of that. Um, but one more thing, i uh, mentioned mention that, um, I mean, Titus is very Shakespearean, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure what Kalik is really supposed to be. But uh, Balaam, or Balaam, is a biblical figure. He's the guy whose donkey talked to him. Mm. Uh, because uh, the, an angel of the Lord was in the road, and the donkey uh, was um, trying to avoid him. Uh, and Balaam kept hitting the donkey. And eventually, uh, God let the donkeys talk. The donkey's like, stop hitting me! Or maybe he sounded like Eddie Murphy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so and i that's the thing that I always heard in Sunday school. But then I went down a rabbit hole and learned that he's this really nuanced figure in like um, in a Torah tradition, a Talmudic tradition and a biblical tradition and also in like like magical tradition where he's this like evil prophet kind of like huh. he's has the gifts of. A, a, you know, an old Testament prophet, but he doesn't use them in good ways necessarily. And he's just sort of hated figure in some circles, but like, a you know, liked in others. And I think that that fits the idea of Balaam in the movie being an entitled, which they were ahead of the curve on that one. I think there's a lot of talk about like entitlement and privilege and, and that yeah. sort of thing today that, um, yeah, I think they were, they definitely knew where things were going. Uh, a, a character who has all this, uh, wealth and privilege and is using it, to do horrible things. Right. Which, right. Here's, a, here's a question that I have for you. At the end of the movie, uh, Jupiter has got her queenship. Um, it hasn't changed her, though. She's still old Jupe. Um, Balaam's gone. Um, the red spot has blown up, <laughs> or is still there, or whatever. Um, is she going to change the practices of the Abraxas Industries uh, family? Like, are they still... Harvesting all this restaurants yeah. are they still liquidating people? It's people. That's what I'm asking.
1: I think it's it's open to interpretation there. Unfortunately, <laughs> Does, uh, they, they don't tell us. They don't hand it to you on yeah. a silver platter, Were, Michael was Bay that style.
0: The, was that them? Like uh, oh, Michael Bay. <laughs> um, I used to say that uh, Christopher Nolan was like the pseudo intellectuals, like Michael Bay, yeah. like a thinking man. Michael he's, Bay. He's
1: Shyamalan for the intellectual.
0: Yeah, I think that the. Wachowskis, at least on this film, and maybe other films, are like the Michael Bay for the Tumblr set. Sure. Like, they'll take some of these ideas, yeah. and then they'll give you all this bombast
1: on top of it. Yeah. One of the comparisons that I, I missed an opportunity to to jump in on before that I was going to make to, like, Transformer films, it remind me of the Transformers in the sense that we're blowing up buildings or, like, attacking stuff with the ships flying around. But in, in Michael Bay movies, they, like, focus on, like, isn't it cool that these things are flying around and doing this thing? And in this movie, it's very much like, here is the purpose of what they're doing. They're trying to get from here to here. Or mm-hmm. this thing is important, and they're trying to protect that thing. Or, you know, these these creatures are trying to, you know, enter this place, and we have to prevent that. Yeah. There's very much, like, an objective-based fight, which makes it more interesting in my mind. Yeah. Um, and it's not just you know how many times you know can we count off Optimus Prime throwing another <laughs> robot through a building?
0: Yeah, they did give themselves that one scene where they blow up Chicago basically. Yeah. That was like the all right, let, let's stretch our wings, let's see what we can do, mm-hmm. which apparently took six months to film. Wow, yeah, it was just that one sequence. As we uh, get near the end here, anything left unsaid about the film?
1: Boy. I mean, if you like sci-fi, if you like campy, you'll probably enjoy this movie. Yeah. If you haven't watched it and you've somehow managed to get through this whole podcast without <laughs> feeling like we've spoiled literally the whole film for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could spoil like specific occurrences, but you can't spoil the the spectacle that is this right. film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're yeah. definitely looking at something.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth a watch, honestly, if you if you're into that sort of a thing and yeah, I think it's a little underrated. In my opinion, I don't think it's, you know, uh, the next big thing or the greatest thing that's ever been in this this sci fi universe. But I think the it doesn't really deserve the pan that it got. I think yeah. it's, it's plenty decent. Yeah. If the you know, the Maze Runner, the Divergent films can get three films. You know, I've, I've seen made Divergent. Run- that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I've seen uh, Maze Runner in the first one. I haven't seen any of the Divergent films, but like if those films can get made you know, to the level that they were made yeah. that I'm sure there's somebody out there who would dig this the way that, that I dig it.
0: Yeah. I pity, um, there's a guy named Grant Hill who's, so he's usually like a third producer credit on, on their films. He's uh, their line producer has worked with them on almost all their films. Um, I pity him, uh, having to set up things like the six month, Shoot like in Chicago, or I'm sure they weren't on location the entire time. Uh, yeah. There's some be- they shoot in the National History Museum. Um, there's a cathedral somewhere. I think that is the space ship that um, Titus has, which is amazing. But he-, he must have done a lot of hard work on this. The yeah. candle budget alone, <laughs> there's there's a couple different scenes yeah. where it's just like two thousand candles. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, the costumes, you know, are amazing. Yeah. And um, there's a thing in this film. That the Wachowskis have done previously, um, I think it got cut out of the Matrix films, but they kind of hint that um, the long lived people um, of the um, of the Empire or whatever, the Abraxas Corporation were inspiration for like vampires. And it'd be easy to see how splices would be like werewolf myth, uh, you know, origins. Uh, and there's a thing there's a thing in uh, I think it was only in the video game of The Matrix where they talk about how werewolves and vampires are like from previous versions of The Matrix. So just kind of stuck around. So and they um. there's a nod to crop circles in this. And there's there's definitely things that are like, huh, what about that? Yeah. What if these guys
1: killed the dinosaurs? I would love to see a, a film, you know, set in medieval times in this universe. Oh, with, yeah. with Like, yeah, you know, a family war that ends up, you know spilling over onto earth. So like there's, there are things that where they're They're saying, Oh, it's a vampire. Oh, it's a werewolf. And it's, you know, these, sure. these, splices or things that would be really interesting. Yeah. And you still get your sci-fi from the, the family that are hiding amongst the, the people of earth.
0: Yeah. I love those, um, those anachronisms, uh, mm-hmm. when you, uh, see those in books, uh, you know, or something like right. that. Fan fiction. Uh, there should be more fan fiction for this film. <laughs> I went to the Jupiter Ascending wiki because there is one, yep. and it's only like seventy-five pages. Huh. Like I think there's more entries on uh, the cast list for, uh, for the IMDb page than uh, than that. So come on, fans, if you really love this thing, get rolling on it. Yeah. Uh, let's head to our segment where we check on the state of the robot holocaust. Uh, as I've explained on the show earlier, I have a theory that if a film opens with excessive voiceover. Uh, has overly long title cards, or opens over water. You know that shot where it's like you're panning up over a lake or a river or something. you got Lake Michigan in this. Um, You know that that's probably not going to be a good movie. And I need to amend something, add one more thing to that. Any film where the titles are present in some way in the world of the film, there's a fad that I think it's died down now, but it's in like the late 90s or early uh, aughts. They do this thing where they render the the credits like the titles in 3d so if you're panning over a city uh it's like on top of a building and it doesn't move with the camera you know it's like just stationary you're going to pass by these giant words whenever i see that i'm like we're in trouble here i don't think this is going to be a very good movie this film kind of has that the the main title
1: the 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 letters that rotate in the the, the riddick turnout yeah yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) and they eclipse the sun so they're clearly like they exist in that world Um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. And there's a little VO to begin with, uh, to set up her origin story. But I think if it is a once upon a time fairy tale, that's kind of a fair cop too. So I think in this case we are safe from the robot Holocaust uh, at this point in time. Um, but I'm more worried about animal people like
1: that (laughs) chicanery knight. I don't, I don't trust that guy. Yeah. Seemed like he's uh, not very trustworthy. I have like I have a naming streak like that too, or I'll go with like super wacky names. <laughs> I remember there was a moment in one of the uh, tabletop, like a D anD D game that I was running, and I introduced my my new villain, um, Interfector Vasilis, and the the people at, at my at the people at my table are like, "Oh fuck this guy!" <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> that's not a name. That's some bullshit. This guy's gonna die. Like before they even like you know you know, had any interaction with this character. As soon as they heard the name, they were just like, fuck that guy. We're right. We're going to kill him immediately. Right. So, and I thought it was a cool name. <laughs> Latin, Interfectus, kills, killing, you know? And right. Vasilis, because he's like a mage who can control, you know, like, energy of, you know, the human body and like life energy and stuff like that. Sure. So, I thought, okay, it's cool. So, it's like this kind of, you know, fun, froofy name and they're just like, nah, we hate it so right i can empathize with that position like (laughs) if if it's not going to be important to the story sure name the characters whatever fun name you want you should you should fake them out and
0: have like oh this is uh dr nefaria bad guy they're like oh oh, watch out it's like he's the top contributor to the united way from like he's like a total like philanthropist and he's like the good guy that is going to give him the magic thing and see if they don't kill him before that happens i like torturing my players yeah um other than the reasons that we've already stated,
1: why do you think critics rejected this? It's kind of that reaction that I was hinting at before. Like, it's campy. Like, if you're not willing to suspend some disbelief and, you know, they're, sure, ignore some plot holes or, like, some <laughs> yeah. some goofy stuff that happens, then I don't think you'll you'll make it past the first act without, you know, kind of souring your opinion right away. But...
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I, one of the criticisms that I heard of the film is that, and maybe people were just you know digging for things to complain about, but was that it uh, borrowed from other films. Hmm. They, they felt like they saw a lot of elements of stuff, um, other sci-fi movies and things like that in this. And I don't know, anytime you're going to do a fairy tale-esque tale, you're going to reach into archetypes where they're just going to have to be things that other people have touched before you know i going right. to get away from that how do you copy bees can sense royalty i mean yeah. like it or hate it yeah that's original yeah and it's, it's
1: a cool idea
0: yeah let's look at a couple uh reviews uh, at the time uh for the film and of course this is fairly recent so i didn't have to dig too far for these uh but uh Charlie Jane Anders uh, for io9 actually was not very... Former Convergence Guest of Honor. Yes, Convergence Guest of Honor, um, was not very positive on this, and in her review said, if you need to care even a little about the characters or stakes in order to have fun watching a movie, then you're in for a disappointment here. Did not... did not have any positive feelings about the film. Uh, moving up the scale a little bit, nothing wrong with the IO nine, but let's go to the New Yorker. Richard Brody, writing for the New Yorker, said, "The Wachowskis create a churning, swooping CGI universe that's decorated to the corners of the frame without taste or imagination."
1: Hmm. I mean, that's just. I feel like that's incorrect. incorrect. Yeah, that's that's not correct. <laughs> yeah, if you want a character, if you want to criticize, you know, plot, or if you want to criticize. You know, wanting more character development from your heroes. Sure. I see those criticisms. Sure. If you want to criticize originality or, you know, flavor of the film, I think you're you're off base.
0: Yeah. I I don't know if that was written for something else. And then we'll just plug Jupiter in. But I don't know how you could say that it doesn't have imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Moving to the fresh side, not everybody hated it. Uh, writing for Grant Land, Wesley Morris, uh, a critic that I like a lot. I don't always agree with him. Um, I feel like he takes things to task, though, when they deserve it. Was positive about the film. Uh, he said, Upon exiting, my weary delight with Jupiter ascending coexisted with pure bafflement, but I exited knowing that I'd seen a movie no other filmmaker could have made. Which is something that I I think I'd agree with. Sure. As you can imagine, the Razzies had a field day with this one, uh, nominating it for worst picture, actor, actress, supporting actor, director, and screenplay. And Eddie Redmayne. I'm sure there
1: was dumber junk that came out. Oh, there must
0: have been 2015. Come on, Uh, but Eddie Redmayne actually won uh, worst supporting actor uh, Razzie for this film, Uh, which you have to imagine is if if somebody that won the best, it's a Halle Berry situation, right? She won for uh, Monsters Ball. So we're going to hit her for Catwoman for sure. She's yeah. not going to get out of that one alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so deserve it or not, that was the result of that. Um, let's look at final re- recommendation.
1: Uh, would you recommend this or would you not yeah,
0: recommend it? I would. Ma- masterpiece or
1: disasterpiece? I mean, it's it's neither. It's a fun pulpy sci fi movie that has some some holes. And you know, if you're into fun pulpy sci fi movies, you'll probably enjoy it. Mm-hmm. What I will say is, if you saw this. Uh, and you you liked it or you loved it, you should immediately go watch Valerian, because <laughs> Val- Valerian is like this movie on crack, like it, it's and uh, that may be another discussion for another day, uh, possibly. But I I loved Valerian just for how like willing it was to play play wild and loose with the rules of the universe and the characterizations within it. Sure. So if you liked that aspect of this movie, that's. Uh, definitely there because that movie also has plenty of plot holes and like weird dumb lines but it's just fun the whole time yeah Luke Basson,
0: another guy that is
1: very imaginative he's like mm-hmm. an
0: idea guy yeah but maybe not the, getting into the nuts and bolts of like working with actors and dialogue right. and stuff like that yeah I bet everybody who um, wrote a bad review of Jupiter Ascending was like could I just find in place, Valerian and yeah. get paid twice for this thing <laughs> yeah um, well, maybe it'll be on the show in the future. We don't know. I'd call this uh, a piece, Uh in like you know terms of hit or miss. Uh, yeah. A miss is not a failure necessarily, and this definitely didn't find a wide audience, but I'd agree. Every time, I've seen this maybe two or three times now, and every time I watch it, I like it more, and I'm almost afraid to watch it again because I don't <laughs> want to become a big jupehead or whatever the fans <laughs> yeah. call themselves. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is something that, Uh, If you haven't seen, I think you should check out. Uh, If you've already seen, do it again just to get it out, see what happens. Go on a second date with Jupiter uh, and see if you can ascend together. That wrapped up pretty good. Uh, So that's it. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you want to let us know how you felt about Jupiter ascending, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash jupiter. Craft Disservices. Remember, there are two S's in the middle of disservices. We're also on Twitter at, and catch this, everything's confusing. We're at at Craft Disservice. No S on Twitter. Ran into a character limit there. We're also on iTunes. You can search for Craft Disservices there and subscribe, rate, and review us. It helps us out a lot. And we're also on Google Play and Stitcher
1: and all that good stuff. Jacob, where can people find you and Hot Chocolate Media online? Absolutely. Uh, You can find us at hotchocolatemedia.net. You can also find us at facebook.com slash hot chocolate media or on twitter at hot media it's just chocolate right chock. at the yeah at the sea <laughs> why doesn't twitter yeah, let your name limit. be as long as you want to yeah. be, come on you can also feel free to, to email email me if you wish if you have something specific you're interested in jacob at hot cool
0: and people should check or look for you at uh, Convergence Uh, yes again they can find that at convergence-con.org well that sounds great Uh, that's it for our show the credits are rolling this is Aaron for Jacob saying I create life and I destroy it